Good morning, good morning, church. Oh, sorry. There we go. I think I grabbed the wrong microphone. I think I, oh, there we go. Thank you. I think I had white before, and now I got yellow. Good morning, church. Just want to let any other kiddos know if you're here, if you still want to attend the children's church, just in case you didn't know, you, you're more than welcome to uh, be excused. If you like to go out, it's right in that room. And parents, you need to go with them, check them in. Um, the kids' church is fun, and they've got probably got snacks and games. And so it's just for younger people, so none of you get the chance to go in and have fun uh, in there. Next week, we are going to be beginning a new series. Uh, Pastor Sergio is going to be uh, leading called Through the Eyes of God. And as a pastoral team and preaching team, we've been looking forward um, to this series. And I'm going to uh, save the introduction um, for, for next week and make sure that uh, this message today kind of begins to build a little bit of curiosity and maybe set up. Uh, for next week. If you're here for the first time, um, I'm Pastor Terrence, one of the pastors on staff, and you need to make sure that you come back next week to hear our lead pastor preach and begin this series. You won't want to miss that. And so today, I just want to bring some thoughts to mind um, to kind of just open up our eyes and get our taste buds ready for this series that we'll be in for quite a while. And And I can tell you that the purpose of this uh, through the eyes of God is to really just see what God sees because as a church we want to we, we really believe strongly and being in our community and being a church that people find freedom in and loving like Jesus and that's what we are focusing on here and so we want to in order to love people like the way God loves them we've got to see them the way God sees them right we got to it's different when how many of you have ever been an impromptu babysitter Right. And when you're an impromptu babysitter, you just hope you only, your only job is to hope that they don't get hurt. That's it. Right. You just hope somebody does not get hurt while these kids are with me. That's it. That's your only job. Once they come get them, then you're good. And you treat those kids differently than your own kids. And so we got to see people like not just God's kids, but our family members. And so I want to I want to bring a, something that I've been kind of wrestling with. Uh, and, and, and questioning, and I thought you might think uh, it was interesting as well as the Lord leads our message today. So we're going to be in two passages of Scripture, and I want to give them to you ahead of time. I want to consider, first of all, Isaiah chapter 6, and I know this is one of our pastor's favorite chapters, and I just want to look at one thing in that, but Isaiah chapter 6, that's going to be one verse we're going to look at, and then we're going to end with a familiar story in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to dance around in there from verses 36 to the end of the chapter, but we're really going to highlight um, verse 20 or 47. So Isaiah chapter 6, I want us to consider that uh, this morning. If you have a digital version of the Bible, that's awesome. Go ahead and open that up or your analog version that I have here. And I want to look at this whole chapter. It's only 13 verses, but I want to read it for you and with you, and I typically read from the NLT version. Here's what Isaiah chapter 6 reads. It was the year that in the year, it was in the year that King Uzzah died that I saw the Lord. What kind of experience was that? He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe 
filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two of they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it is all over. I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of the heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal. He had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sin, sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Obviously referring to the people with the unclean lips, the people that Isaiah was just talking about, the people that he said he lives among, the people in his context, in his community with unfilthy, with filthy lips. God says, who should I send to them? Who shall go for us? Who shall represent us on behalf of heaven? So he said, I said back to Isaiah's voice, here I am, send me. And he said, yes, go and say to this people, listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Okay, harden the hearts of these people and plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and, and turn to me for healing. Doesn't sound like a good message, but that's what God said. Then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? And he replied, until their towns are empty, their houses are destroyed. The whole country is a wasteland. Until the Lord has sent everyone away. And the entire land of Israel lies deserted. I, if even a tenth of a remnant survive, it will have been, will, will be invaded again and burned. But as a temperate or oak tree leaves, a stump when it's cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. I dare not try to unpack this whole chapter, but I'm curious about verse 3. They cried out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That's what I want to land today. Would you help me preach this morning? Look at a neighbor next to you. Look him in the face and say, Neighbor, oh neighbor, we have seen his glory. Try another neighbor. Say, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. We have seen his glory. If you think the Lord's going to speak this morning, let me hear you say a good hearty amen. Amen. It seems like this year has been an interesting year for me as I am settling in and please don't be offended by this. 
my age. Now, I know some of you are looking at me and saying, you are just a baby. I know, I know. But I've got a high schooler, a freshman in my house. And when I drop her off at school, I am reminded of my age. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I, I, when, I grew up in a hip-hop era. How many of you were raised in hip-hop? Just, let's just be honest here. Thank you very much. Look at the hands going up. I grew up a hip-hop head. That's just me. That's my context. Some of you can understand uh, what I'm talking about. I grew up with Tribe Called Quest. Maybe y'all, some of y'all don't know who that is. <laughs> Leaders of the new school. I grew up with hip-hop. I loved hip-hop. I'm not talking about as just a, a, a form of music. I'm talking about as a culture. I'm talking about understanding the five elements of hip-hop, right? I, I, that's what I grew up. And so when I'm, when I'm dropping off my daughter at high school, I hear music that's supposed to be hip-hop. But I don't understand what's happening. I, I'm just telling you right now, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to realize how some, some things have just changed. I'm just telling you, when I grew up, it was very clear who the hip-hop artist was, Right? Most times he was black. Okay, right, we know that. <laughs> he had some sort of identification, whether it was a hat or some, or some baggy pants or some boots. He, the, the, if, whether there was a male or a female, there was something about the way they carried themselves. I, in trying to understand this generation and trying to understand what has happened to hip-hop, because I realized when I see songs that I wasn't supposed to listen to on commercials, I know something's happening. When I see trends that people are wearing, like champion, cross colors, like that's come back, that means I'm getting old. That's like retro coming back. Listen, I saw kids with fanny packs. I'm not even lying to you. You think I'm lying. Fanny packs are a thing. Am I lying? Am I telling the truth? Look at all the Yeah, it's true. It's real. It's real. All the kids can tell you that. And so I tried to catch up. I tried to catch up, Pastor. I'm like, okay, let me find out where hip-hop is. Let me just check in a little bit. Top five hip-hop artists right now. I was so confused. I saw one guy. I was like, this guy can't be the artist. He must be like the video, you know, like he must be the guy programming the, you know, he must be like the video editor or the director. This guy cannot be the real artist. He looked like a software engineer. I mean, he didn't look anything. He like he worked at Microsoft. That's what he looked like. No, no digs on Microsoft workers. I'm just saying. Didn't look anything like what I thought he should look like. Very confused. And I realized that hip-hop has, has so... in entered the culture, and it is worldwide, and it is a movement, not just the music, but the entire culture. It has stretched beyond, not even my own personal culture, not even my own background of the genesis of understanding where hip-hop came from as an expression, and all that. In our form, I understand that, but at this point now, it's so big, and here's the question I had to wrestle with. Is this an issue of cultural appropriation? Is somebody trying to copy, right, what they've seen, or is it to the point where they actually can express and have internalized the culture of hip-hop? 
Could someone have more of an authority because of the broadness and the, bre and the breadth of what hip-hop has become worldwide? Is it okay for a software engineer to properly reflect the culture of hip-hop? I cannot just be an authority just because I grew up as a black kid in an urban environment in the genesis and crest of hip-hop as it began to go worldwide. I cannot just say I have the authority to say what is hip-hop. I have the authority to say this is what it is. Is it possible that it's become so big, it's become so uh, woven in the fabric of culture and people have not only been raised in it like me, but now have children who have been raised in what it means and now they can reflect it properly. Has it gotten so big that it can't be contained? And here's the question I have that's being raised in Isaiah chapter 6. I have some questions about the glory. Isaiah has this experience in where he has been shown the temple of God. He's seen and experiencing it from God's perspective. Well, not necessarily God's perspective, but in God's environment. And as we read what he sees, he goes into this temple and he begins to describe as best he can with the words he has about smoke and about thunderous loud noise and about angels and beings that he's never seen before with all these different wings. And he's looking back at this and he is amazed by what he sees, this worship that's going from back and forth. If you just turned around, literally turned around and look at this big, you might have never seen this before. I imagine it would be like this. Now, I don't know if this is a bunch of people with trumpets, but I imagine these beings probably looked bigger than this, and they were shouting, and they were loud, and, and Isaiah, you see it? It's right there. Okay, you can turn around now. We can get back to listening to the sermon. No, I'm just <laughs> so So he's like, whoa, what is happening in here? And this glory begins to really change his life. And I wonder, I'm interested here at, at what happens. So Back here in Isaiah, he hears and sees this, and the, and the Bible says, the angels say something interesting. As they describe how the temple and what's happening there, the angel shouts out that the whole earth is filled with his glory. And it continues, and the first response that Isaiah has is he begins to repent. I think this is a good response that we should have anytime we witness the glory in the temple. David, or excuse me, not David, Isaiah sees it in the temple, and his first response is, I'm undone. See, when you see the glory of God, when you see for Jesus, for you know, Jesus for who he is, your first thought shouldn't be, I feel better about myself. That's not where you end. That's not your first thought. Your first thought should be like, Something is happening here that is not happening in my life. This is other than me. This is bigger than me. A, a, an experience with the glory of God should leave you feeling at least a sense of repentance. You come into the temple, you ought to be able to declare, you know, I'm, I'm undone. Let's be honest. My life is not what it should be. Some things in my life are not going well. An encounter with God should allow me to see that I need a Savior, that I need God. I'm undone, as Isaiah said. 
And then as he begins to confess, he says, I'm doomed, I'm sinful. He recognizes his sin. He says, I'm filthy. I've got filthy lips. I live with people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the army, the heaven, the army, sorry, I have seen, going too fast, the Lord, the king, the Lord of the heaven's armies. Then the Bible says in verse 6 that one of the seraphim threw to, flew to me with a burning coal. And this is why Terrence Taylor would not be in the Bible. Because it, it would have said, and Terrence left the temple, right? That's what would have been the next verse. Because anytime somebody's coming at you with a burning, fiery coal to put on your lips, I don't think I'd be sticking around. But he does. He puts the coal on his lips. And the angel says, you have now been... Um, forgiven. I have removed your guilt has been removed. Your sin has been forgiven. A second response to the glory ought to be a response of re-cleansing. Re-cleansing. I come to the house of God, the temple of God. I see his glory. I repent. But then there's an experience here. There's an exchange here that might be painful at first, but it signifies a re-cleansing. You ought to leave the presence of the Lord forgiven. You ought to leave the presence of the Lord restored and cleansed and not keeping the same stuff on you that you brought in. So Isaiah's response and his experience was that he was re-cleansed. And then, and then only then, verse 8, the Lord says, who shall I send? To these people. I love that because salvation is never about you. Salvation is never about you being saved, you being cleansed, you repent, and then good. Go back to your house and enjoy your, your special K-loaf, right? I don't even know who that is. <laughs> so so what, what, what is the response? God says, okay, you had unfilthy lips. I've cleaned you. But what are we going to do about these people that you come from? Perhaps your filthiness is because of the context that you're in. And I care not just about you, but the people that may be experiencing a systemic uncleanliness that I need someone to go back who has experienced the glory to explain and reveal what the glory looks like and perhaps persuade them to receive the same thing that you have. And so a true response, a good response that follows the response of repentance and of re-cleansing is that of being released. Because God says, who shall I send? And Isaiah looks around and says, I don't see nobody else in here. I, I guess I'm available. I, I still have some questions about the glory. Because... If I see this picture of glory and I see this experience in the temple, what happens when I come to the temple and I don't have this experience? Something's got to be wrong. If I'm coming week after week to the place that we have set aside, this place to be a place to experience his glory, the temple of the Lord, and we know the Bible teaches us that he is not just looking for a temple to inhabit made of brick and a stone, but into our hearts, 
But we have designated this time and this place for us to come together and to experience the glory. So if I don't come and I don't experience the glory, something's got to be wrong. And I wonder sometimes if it's simply that God is waiting for his chance to sit on the throne. Because sometimes, you know, we have church services and you've been to church services where it's like God's really waiting for his turn. He's like, uh, is it my turn to sit on the throne? He's like, not yet, Jesus. I just got this really cool thing I read online that I need to just break down. Okay. Is it my turn yet? Not really. I, I really got something I was studying this week in Sabbath school that I really need to teach. When I get done, it's all yours. Okay. God's like, is it my turn yet? Uh, you know what? Um, I've got something I want to say. I've got this really important announcement, Jesus, and then the glory part will come. You know, I was wondering if we could, you know, God was like, I wonder if we could turn it up a little bit. here. You know, actually, sorry, God, yeah, we, we actually need to turn it down a little bit for a while. Then when we're done, then you can have your throne. I wonder what it would feel like to experience the glory. And I wonder if sometimes God is like, okay, I'll tell you what. You do what you want to do. I'll be back. And when you're ready for me to sit on the throne, then I'll come back. Because there's a response to the glory. And I'm wondering if the glory can't be contained. I'm wondering if people cannot claim to have the authority over the glory. I'm wondering if the glory of God is so big that it cannot be contained to one place. It cannot be contained in one particular style of worship. It cannot be contained by one particular location and one particular place that maybe the glory is so big that it just can't be contained. I got some questions about glory, Pastor. Um, and so, the, really the Hebrew, the word for glory, means to give honor. That's what it means. So here's what that means for us. That means all of us have glory. It's our decision to where we give it to. So if glory means to honor, that means we have, so what we saw in the temple was the angels and the beings giving glory to God. Did you read what it said? They were shouting back and forth. There was angels in conversation. One over here saying, holy is the Lord. Another one over here saying, holy, holy, holy. Another one over here saying, holy. And you had this room of these, you know, lasers, Star Wars things with swords. And I don't know what they were doing. Just make up on your mind. And they were shouting and it was so loud. Because the angels were just constantly, constantly, every glory. It's like people who watch those, you know, like Street Fighter. I don't know. I can't think of a good explanation. I tried really hard. But in my mind, all I can see is angels shouting 
glory, holy, holy. So when we come into the temple, if our response is to give him glory, then the glory's there. So if I have glory and you have glory, it makes me question because I thought the glory was only in the temple. I thought the glory was only in the church. I thought the glory was only with God's people. But perhaps the glory is so big and it's so huge and it cannot be contained because if we can choose who we give it to, no matter where we go, there's God's glory. I want to I try to explain what I'm saying. Because as we set up this series about seeing through the eyes of God, we will begin to recognize what God is seeing and where God is. We will get to the point where we will be able to see our neighbor and say, there's glory in there. We'll be able to see the person who is homeless and not standing with the sign and not see past all of this function and say, I recognize glory in there. Because the angel's saying that the earth is filled with his glory. That wherever you go, his glory is present because there is something or someone that is giving honor to him and if you can see it you can recognize that God is there so I want to take you to Luke chapter 7 I want to show you this story because as I've been wrestling with this here's here's my question because I've been struggling with debates about who owns the church anybody having a struggle with me on that and I'm under the persuasion that biblically, the only person who can claim, not the ownership's not the best word, but I could say the proper relationship with the church is Christ. The Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ. So in other words, the church is Christ's woman. Now let me just step down here real quick. Let me talk to Jesse real quick. I'm going I'm to I'm, I'm talk, talk to you. I'm going to come back. I'm going to talk to my man Charlie over here. Let me get a seat with you real quick, bro. Okay. Let me just tell you a secret, Charlie. It's all warm. That's good. I appreciate it. Yeah. You want to know what would make me mad? What makes you mad? Somebody talking about my woman. <laughs> you feel me? Let me you, you feel me, right? Absolutely, man. Let me ask Jesse. Let me ask Jesse, too. I picked out Jesse on this. Let me, let me tell you. Let me, ask, let me ask him a secret real quick. Now, you don't look like somebody who fights a lot, right? No, you are a lover. So, somebody talk to somebody who fights. Okay. Okay, I had to check with my committee. Let me, let me say it out loud so y'all can hear me. Now, I don't get upset too much about a lot of stuff. But if somebody was talking about my woman, you will be reading in the news you need to know. Terrence Taylor took a call to 
Indonesia. It's <laughs> no longer working for the Upper Columbia Conference. We wish him well as the Lord guides him. <laughs> He'd be in the Gleaner. Terrence Taylor in fight at Adventist Pathfinder Fair or something like that. <laughs> See, people think they own the church. People think they can decide what happens to the church. But as long as the church is the bride of Jesus, that means Jesus gets to decide who leads in the church, who preaches in the church, who works for the church. And so the church just belongs to Jesus. And if our eyes are open, we could see that there's glory in there. There's some glory that needs to come out in there. So I want to take you to Luke chapter 7, and I'm, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but, but this, this is a story that some of you have heard many times. It's about this woman who anoints Jesus, and I'll just skip through as much as I can. Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36 and then to verse 50, but I'm just going to pick out some pieces. So Jesus basically was invited to eat at some Pharisee's house, and he went, and he gets there, and then this woman comes in and she's beautiful okay she's a knockout we're talking about Beyonce walks in the door and Jesus is sitting there and all of a sudden something goes down and she walks in with this expensive jar of perfume and maybe you've heard the story before she begins to break it open and she begins to pour it on his feet and she's crying and she begins to wash his feet with her tears and wipe his feet with her hair, and the Bible records his story and describes her as a sinful woman. And you need to know about this culture that her hair, that was what was sexy back then. Like, that was, that was it right there. Oh, did you see her hair? Man, hair is sexy. That's, that's what they liked back there. It was the crown of, of her glory. And so she used, let's say, the thing that she probably got a lot of clients with to show affection to Jesus. Now, I want you to see this because I just want you, I want you to imagine that after church, we go into the fellowship hall and we're sitting down eating potluck. And this beautiful woman walks into the potluck room. She walks over to me as I'm sitting there with Pastor Fred eating my baked potato. And she begins to untie my shoes. John's face goes bright red. She begins to take off my socks, Chris, and this ain't foot washing service. And she is 36, 24, 36, and she's 5'3". <laughs> and she walks in, and she starts pulling out some oil and massaging my feet. And I just lay back in my chair and say, don't bother her, Lynn. She's doing a good thing. <laughs> Lynn would be on the phone with President Minter Labrador. Uh, we need to have a meeting with the MCC <laughs> next week. <laughs> you would be uncomfortable with that, right? Same thing happens here. They're uncomfortable. In fact, they're, they're really judging her, and they're really saying negative things. And Jesus is really calm about the whole thing in this exchange. There's a tension in it. And really what the Pharisee, who doesn't have the courage to say it out loud in verse 39, he says, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching her. That's a good question, Pharisee. How do you know what kind of woman this is? 
That's a really good question. If he was a prophet, you mean he was one of your guys that probably had her come to some of your parties? Begins to mock Jesus and mock her. And Jesus says, let me break this down to you. So I got some thoughts, got some things to say to you. He begins to give him this parable about silver and, and payment, and, and he poses this question of who owes more, as you can read, just look at that quickly in that story. And then he begins to break something down. He says, look at this woman kneeling here. He said, when I came into your home, you did not offer me water to wash my feet, but she has washed them with her tears. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of oil on my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. He said, when I came in here, I was dirty, I was dusty, and I was ashy. And you did nothing about it. But this woman has not stopped pouring her affection on me. And I love what he says, because it's the same word. I tell you, her sins I tell you her sins, and they are many. Jesus doesn't hide the truth about her. Have been forgiven. So she has shown me, can I enter a word here? Much glory. She's shown me much glory. But a person who has been forgiven little only shows a little glory. See, when you're in the temple, when you're beholding the beauty and the wonder of God and you see who he is and who you are, and you begin to go through that process that we looked at of repentance and recleansing and being released. When you understand how much you've been forgiven of, you don't have a problem giving the glory to God. What's so interesting is two people in the same room with the Son of God in their presence. One response was, Jesus, you're on your own. The other response was, I will be unashamedly embarrassed and look ridiculous because I am showing glory to my God. And so the whole earth is filled with his glory. What am I talking about? What would happen, church, if we were sent to where God sent us, looking at things through the eyes of God, and, were be and began to show and give God glory in the places where people don't recognize that he's there? What if you're on the operating table you physicians and nurses and those who work in the medical places, and you were able to recognize and give God the glory for where he showed up. What if you were out on the field for those who work as civil servants and fire and police, and you were able to show God's glory by giving him the glory in every situation that you see. Perhaps the glory is not just in the temple, but it's all over the world just waiting to be seen by someone who's willing to show it. And so here's what I want to say. You've seen his glory. You've seen it. You look around the room, there's a testimony. Someone who's been healed from cancer. 
someone who's been delivered from drug addiction, someone who's bounced back from a bitter divorce, someone who has responded to years of abuse, someone who lost their business and recovered. You have seen his glory. Just look at your week. Just look at all the things that God has done for you. And what I'm hoping is that you begin to recognize these places of glory that are stored up and that you would be willing to show and to express and to share the glory of God by giving him the honor. I love what she does in the story. Because while she's being criticized and judged and being treated so disrespectfully, her eyes are focused on the feet of Jesus. And I think I've told you this several times, maybe a thousand times. I don't remember, but I'm going to tell you just in case someone's never heard this. This perfume was so expensive. This is not what you buy at the outlet mall, okay? This is not toilet, right? It's like $25 for a, for a can like this big. This is not that. This was so expensive. It was, it was, it was almost like a family heirloom. It, it, was, it was one drop. We could smell it in this whole room. That's how pure it was. And so I want you to understand this, the way the gospel writers placed this story. That I've said this so many times, but I'm just going to say it again. It's so strong that Jesus would have still smelled it on the cross. As the worship team comes, that's a good place to have them come. It was so strong that while the blood is running down his face and his body and the shouts of accusation, and the clouds are darkened. That is, he said, this woman has anointed me for my burial. And on the cross, he could still smell the glory. The honor that was due to him. While those who were crucifying him, this little woman, a life full of sin, who in one act says, I'm going to pour out my glory to him. He says, everyone will always remember you because you have done a good thing to me. And on the cross, as he's being crucified, he's reminded of what he's doing this for. That this woman who probably was right there in front of him, and this same woman who probably met him and went to the, to the tomb when he died. And this same woman who may not be mentioned, but I believe it with all my heart, preached the gospel till she died. In one act, showed glory. So you've seen it. There's some glory in you. Ooh, and what would happen if our church began to see things through the eyes of God and begin to recognize that wherever we go, whoever we talk to, where they see despair, when they see, they see pain, where they see a bad situation coming, we can say, no, I see, I see glory in there. No, the whole, the whole earth is filled with his glory. You, you got to understand, you don't have to be here to experience the glory. I can come to you and show you 
the glory. The glory cannot be contained to one church. The glory cannot be contained to one denomination. The glory cannot be contained to one idea of one person who's leading. No, the glory is too big to be contained. It fills the earth. It's everywhere. And God just needs people to say, I know where the glory is and I'll get this glory party started right here. I'll show you what God has done. I'll show you how God has led me. I will tell you of the hope that you have in a coming Savior because there's glory all over this world and the God that we serve cannot be contained. If you can't come, I'll come to you. You can't show up. I'll show up. I'll be there. And every time we show up, God's like, yep, the glory is right there. And you know what the Bible says that David says? The Lord inhabits. Ooh, I feel like preaching now. The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And so when glory starts here, God's like, I got to show up over here. And when glory's over here, he said, ooh, that's too good. I see my throne has been polished. Let me come and sit down. I see over here somebody's finally off my throne. Let me show up because I want to inhabit what the praises of my people are. He loves us. He loves us. Oh, he loves us. And it's time that we show how much we love him.